Amen. That was beautiful, wasn't it? If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of 1 John chapter 5. Book of 1 John chapter 5. In our house, we are starting basketball this week. We're kind of transitioning from baseball, moving to basketball. And so I was thinking about last year's basketball season. In the league the boys were playing in, the fourth graders and the fifth graders play together. And so their team was young. They were pretty much all fourth graders and they were smaller, had played less basketball. One Saturday morning, we were playing one of the better teams in the league. They were older kids. They were taller. They were just good athletes. And so going into the game, we were the underdogs by a large margin. I remember watching the game and watching the boys, and they were playing so well, and the game was close. With about 30 seconds left, it was uh, within three points. We were down by three points. And I remember watching Maddox, he's the point guard, so he brings the ball in and he was bringing it through and the ball's almost like an extension of his arm as he runs through and he dribbles between his legs and he gets in a bind and then Mason comes up, sets a pick and Maddox goes to the side, he throws up a layup and it sinks down and now they are down by only one point. The clock is ticking, it's getting lower, the energy is just oozing out, everybody's yelling, everybody's standing up watching, the other team brings the ball in, they go down, Lord is that you? and then they go down to the other end of the court and they shoot and we watch as the ball bounces off the backboard. It rolls around the rim and then it falls off and everybody's watching to see who comes up with it. And Maddox is by a guy that's about this much taller than him, but somehow he jumps up, he grabs the ball and he comes down with it and he's holding it. Everybody says, clock, clock, watch the clock. The time is ticking down. Eight seconds, seven seconds. And so he goes into overdrive. He's bringing the ball down the court. The opponents see him. They know they've got to stop him. And so they begin to swarm around him. He goes to the right and he's stuck. He goes to the left. There's somebody here. He's about to make his move. The clock's going four Three, all of a sudden he's about to go for the basket and the whistle blows. And so everybody thinks, what is going on? And so we look up and the official says, time out. And so we look and one of our assistant coaches had called a timeout. That's a good strategy. They're going to go to the side, bounce the ball in. They have one shot to win the game. They are down by one point. The only problem is the assistant coach did not realize that we are out of timeouts. We don't have any timeouts left. And so what that means is that Maddox has to give the ball to the other team, and they throw the ball in, run the clock down, and we lose. We lose by one point. Ah, I hate stories like that, don't you? What do we like? We like victory. We like that last second shot that the ball falls in the basket, everybody goes wild, and there is a victory that takes place. But sometimes in life we do experience defeats. Sometimes we go through tough times. Sometimes if we're honest, we feel more like losers than winners, don't we? We go through discouragement. We go through times that we just feel like we're down. We feel like everybody else might be winning around us, but life is tough for us. Even as a church, there are times that we feel defeated. We look around us and it seems like 
where is morality? Morality has gone out the window. We look at politics and we just kind of shake our head and we say, what is the world coming to around us? We look at the culture we live in and they're trying to push God as far away as they possibly can out of government, out of our schools, out of our lives. You can't mention him on the TV anymore and we're left and we say, what in the world is going on? And because of that, I think sometimes we feel defeated. And sometimes we walk around as if we're defeated. But what I want you to see this morning is that we are winners. We are the victors. We are overcomers. Even if we don't feel like it, even if the circumstances don't show it around us, if we trust the Word of God, which we have sang about all morning, if we believe the Word of God, then we must be convinced that we are, in fact, the victors and the winners. Look at chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Let me ask you to stand just in honor and reverence of the Word of God. 1 John 5, beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Go ahead and be seated. I want you to think about the word overcome in the text before us. Three times in the text, it says that we overcome. To overcome means that we conquer, it means that we win, it means that we defeat, it means that we gain the victory. It's the same word that Jesus used in John 16 when he says, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. You're going to find difficulty. You're going to find tribulation. You're going to find tough times. But don't worry. Don't be dismayed because I have overcome the world. He goes on in Romans and he says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Same word. We are more than conquerors. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said we are more than victors because there's nothing that can separate us from God. We sing the song Victory in Jesus. Listen to me. It's not just a song. It is a way of living for us. You say, Case, I don't get it. Why is this so important? If you've been with us on Sunday nights, we've been studying this for several weeks. Case, why is this so important? I believe it's important because if we realize who we are, it's going to change the way that we live our life. We play baseball games, and there are times that we get to a championship game and we lose. You know what happens when we lose? We walk back to the car, and I look at my boys, and they walk like this. We get in the car to drive home, and nobody says a word. It's, it's silent. 
Nobody's excited. There's just a, a, a sense of dread in the vehicle, sense of regret. But when they win that championship game, do you know what happens? You cannot get those little guys to shut their mouth. You just can't do it. They're excited. They say, Dad, did you see that pitch? Dad, did you see my hit? Did you see me run around the base? Did you see me get the scoring run? And they're excited. They're telling everybody they know what has happened. I think for a lot of us as Christians, we're walking around in defeat. And we've got this look on our face that just looks like we're full of sorrow. Looks like we've been defeated. We're not telling people about the Lord. We're not telling people about Jesus. We're just walking around solemn. But listen, if we really who we are, if we realize we are winners, we are victors, then there's going to be a smile on our face and we're going to be telling everybody we know how they can be winners as well. And so it's going to change the way that we live our life when we realize who we are. We are called to overcome the world. You say, Case, what is the world? When the Bible is speaking of the world, it's speaking of anything that draws our attention off of Christ. John Wesley said this, he said that the world is anything that cools my love for Christ. Anything that draws me away, any type of sinful activity, any attack of Satan, anything that takes my affections away from Jesus and pulls them to something else. And so here in 1 John, he says, let me tell you how to be victorious over the world that is around you. And he gives us three ways to do so. Number one... We overcome the world by being men and women and boys and girls of faith. We overcome the world by our faith. Look back at the text, 1 John chapter 5, look back at verse 1. He says, everyone who believes, that's faith, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith. Look at verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Three times he makes mention, he makes reference to our faith. Number one, if we're going to be victorious. Don't you want to walk in victory? I want to walk in victory. If we're going to be victorious, number one, we must have a saving faith. You say, Case, what does that mean? Number one, it means that we believe. We believe in the B-I-B-L-E. We believe in this book. We believe in the Word of God. Do you believe in the Word of God? Do you believe that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Do you believe for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Do you believe that God shows his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, while we were separated, God loved us. He sent his son for us. Do you believe that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved? That for all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there a saving faith in your life? You see, it doesn't just matter that we believe, but it matters what we believe. Some folks around us today, children, y'all need to understand this. The world around us says that everybody's on their own path to heaven. And some will follow Allah, and some will follow God, and some will have their own God, and some will follow Jesus. But in the end, we're all going to get there. Listen, that's not biblical. 
when you look in the Bible, it teaches us that there is only one way to be reconciled to God, and that is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus that we are to be saved. And so listen, your money will not make you victorious. Amen? Your success will not make you victorious. The type of car you drive or the home you live in will not make you victorious. I know rich people who are very miserable in life. Do you know what's going to make you victorious? When your sins have been washed away by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where victory is going to come from. That is the only place to find it. It says in 1 John 2.22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. It is Antichrist to deny who Jesus is. It is only through his blood. But listen, belief is good, but what you believe matters also. Do you remember that in the book of James, it says even the demons believe, and what do they do? They shudder. They believe. They know the power of God and they shudder, but it is surely no saving belief. It is no saving faith. It says when you go on to John chapter 2, it says that Jesus is performing miracles. I find this so interesting. Jesus is performing miracles. People see it and it says they believe upon Jesus, but then it says, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. In other words, it says they believed, but Jesus did not believe in their belief. They believe because they want a Santa Claus. They believe because they want someone to bless them. They believe because they want a miracle. They don't want a Lord and a Savior and a King. And because of that, Jesus says, you may believe, but I'm going to walk away from your belief because it is not a saving faith that you have. Listen, Jesus calls us to make him the Lord of our life. He's not just here to give you every wish that you might have. He's not just here to make your life easy. He's not just here to make you wealthy, healthy, and happy. He's calling us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. So we've got to make sure that what we believe lines up with the scripture. It lines up with the word of God. Now, let me show you one more thing about this belief. Go back to verse 4, okay? It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Davis, you might have to help me. This is a review for you. The word faith here is used as a noun, okay? Davis, what is a noun? Person, place, or thing. Very good. It's used as a noun because it's talking about something that has happened in the past. It's a thing that happened in the past. For a lot of us, if I ask you about your salvation and I say, tell me about your salvation, we'll say, well, it's something that happened way back here in the past. I walked down a church aisle, I was baptized, I filled out a card, and that's good. But if you look at verse 5, you'll see something else. It says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There's action to that. It's used as a verb. They're believing. There's action to it. You see, our salvation is not just a noun. It's not just a thing that happened in the past. It is a verb that affects every aspect of our life moving forward. Your salvation is not just when you came down in front of the church and you prayed a prayer and you filled out a card. Your faith is you living every single day. 
You see, the Bible talks about salvation, and it talks about it in a past tense, in a present tense, and in a future tense. It says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. That's past tense. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, it says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's present tense. We are presently being saved. But in Romans 5, 9, it says, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You understand there's a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. What does that mean? It means at the moment of my salvation, at the moment of your salvation, you are justified in the eyes of God. That means that when he looks on us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. But we are being sanctified. That means that hopefully we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're getting closer to his image. We're trying to live for him on a greater level. But one day, we're going to be glorified. One day, there's going to be no more sinful desire in my life and in my heart, and we will be glorified in heaven. You see, salvation is past tense, present tense, and future tense, and it takes all three of those to make biblical salvation. I say that simply to say this, is faith active in your life? In your life, is faith a noun of the past or is it something that you're living out day by day by day? Our faith should govern our behavior. It should change our decisions. It should change everything about our life. So question number one for every one of us today is, are we a man or a woman or a child of faith? If you don't have faith, listen, there will be no victory. If you don't have faith, you will live in defeat. There's no other way. But number two, not only will we have faith, but we will be known by our love. Look back at the text of verse 1 again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Number one, we will have faith. Number two, we will be people of love. I want you to think about your life for a moment. When people think of you, when they think of your name, when you come up in someone's mind, do they think that's a loving individual? You say, well, hey, wait a minute. That's just not my nature. Well, your nature changed when you got saved. The Bible says that every one of us should be characterized by love. What does 1 John say about God? It says two things that God is. It says God is light, and it says that God is love. If we're going to try to be like Jesus, then we will be people characterized by love. And listen, I don't want to make you mad, but we're going to love people even who are different than us. We're going to love people who politically, they're different than us. We're going to love people who their skin color is different than us. We're going to love people who live at a different area than what we live in. We're going to love people. When you look at Jesus, what did he do? He loved people. He showed compassion. He helped people. He met the needs of people. What are we doing if we say we're trying to be like Jesus, but we're not known by our love? Now listen, all over Longview today, there are different places you can go. This ought to be the most loving place in Longview. This ought to be the place that people come in and they feel a spirit of love. They know that we care for them. Now, we're going to stand on the truth, amen? We're going to stand on what is right, but we're going to do so in love. 
We're not going to be critical of people. We're not going to tear people down. We're not going to talk behind someone's back. Why? Because that's not loving. We're going to lift people up. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to pray for one another. How many times have you heard somebody hurting and you say, I'm going to pray for you, and you go home and you never pray? Isn't that a shame when we do that? It means we don't love people. It means that we don't care about people. It says in John 13:35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you go to church every Sunday, that's not it, is it? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you give a lot of money to the church. Now, don't stop, but that's not what it says, okay? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that I'm to show my faith and the way that you're to show your faith is by the way that you love others. Well, what does love look like? It looks like action. 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. When's the last time that you did something for someone else to show that you care about them? Last time you made a meal for someone? Last time you mowed someone's grass? The last time you called just to check on somebody? In our world, it is so easy to be selfish, isn't it? It's easy to be so self-centered and so self-absorbed, but what's going to change the world is when we are people of love. Now, that leads us to number three. We're moving quickly. Kids, you're doing very well. Number three, lastly, is this. If we're going to be victorious, if we're going to overcome the world around us, it's going to be by our obedience. Look back at verse 2 and 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We love others, but also we love God. Here's the question. How do we show our love for God? How do we show that we really love God? Not in word, but we show that we love God when we are obedient. When we obey, we do the word, that's when we show that we really love God. It says in John 14, 50, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. It's a shame to say that we love God, that we're sold out to the Lord when we live our life for ourselves and we don't live it for him. If we're going to love God, then the way that we prove it, the way that we show it is by our obedience. It's by walking in the Spirit. It's by walking in such a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord in our life. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about trying to work our way into salvation. I'm not saying that we have a work-based salvation. I'm saying because I love God with all my heart, it pushes me to obey him. Because my heart beats for God, I want to serve him every way possible. I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to earn his favor, but I want to please him with my life. You see, the key to the text, if you look back at it, it comes to this word, and it's says it is not burdensome. That's the key to it. We are obedient, and our obedience does not come with a burden attached to it. 
I want you to think about this. I believe this is very important. Is your spiritual life a joy or is it a burden? Is your spiritual life something that brings you happiness or is it something that you dread? You say, Case, how do I know in my life? Here's one way you know. All of us, we got up this morning, we put on some nice clothes, and we came to church. Now, it's a beautiful day outside, isn't it? Would you rather be here or would you rather be somewhere else? You say, well, Case, I'm here. Yes, we're here, but there's, there's some of us in this room, if we were really honest, in our heart, there's a thousand places we would rather be right now than right here. We come because we feel obligated. We come because if we don't, somebody's going to call us. But in our heart, we would rather be somewhere else. But we come here, and it's a burden to us, but we come anyway. We want to do what's right, and so we push through. Some of us, we, we wrote a check this morning, a tithe check out. We don't want to. We'd rather hang on to the money, but we know that we need to, so we're trying to earn the favor of God. So we grit our teeth. We write that check. We resentfully put it in the offering plate, and we begin to think about all the things I could have bought with that money. He says, here's the problem. We should be obedient, and it should not be a burden to us. Many of you in here, you serve the Lord in different areas. You sing in the choir. You use your gifts. You teach kids or teenagers. You drive a bus. You cook meals. You do so many different things. My question is, why do you do what you do? Do you do what you do because you're obligated and you feel like you have to? Or do you do what you do, that's a tongue twister, because you want to? You see, there are some in here, you could not wait to get here this morning. You're excited. You love to sing these songs and to stand up and to praise God. You love to open this book and to read the text and to study it together. You want to be here, and it makes all the difference in the world. Why do you do what you do? Let, let's say that, as an example, let's say as a husband. I go to work, and at the end of a work day, I go home. I go home to my wife because I feel like that's what I need to do. I need to go home to my wife. I don't really want to, but I go home to my wife. And we go home, and occasionally on the weekend, I decide we need to go out on a date because that's what I need to do. So I plan up a date, and I take her out, and we eat together and have a meal together. And sometimes we're driving in the car, and I see her hand, and I just feel like I need to. So I, I put my hand on hers, and I rub on her hand a little bit because that's what I feel like I need to do as a husband. I want to be a good husband, so I do those things. That's great, isn't it? But let's say that when I get done with a day's work, I cannot wait to go home and see my wife. I just long for it. I want to see her. I want to go home, and I want to be in her presence. And listen, I love my kids. I love my children. But when we can have a date with no kids, oh, man, that's good stuff, you know? Just getting to talk and getting to eat a meal without worrying about anything else, longing for those times. And there's times that we're driving down the road and I see her hand and I just want to grab her hand. I want to get that connection with her. I can't wait to just hold her hand. I can't wait to, if I have a free lunch break to go to her school and to eat with her. I just long to be with her. I want to be with her so badly because I am so in love with her. On the outside, both of those look the same, don't they? We're going on a date, I hold her hand, we do these things, but on the inside, it is entirely different. And it makes all the difference in the world. When it comes to serving the Lord, where is your heart? 
Is your heart to the point that, oh, I love the Lord so much. I love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, my mind, my strength. I want to serve him. I want to use my gifts and my talents and my abilities. I want to advance the kingdom of God. I am so glad to be able to serve him. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I'm so glad it's Sunday today. Is that us? Or is it, oh, man, it's Sunday again. I would love to sleep in this morning. Oh, the bed's so comfortable. But I guess I better get up and go. I think for too many of us, we grit our teeth and our spiritual life becomes a burden. And there will be no victory when our spiritual life is a burden to us. You know, when I, when I go to a, a ball game and I look at these parents, I don't ever see parents with just a, a blank stare on their face. They're excited, they're hollering, they're screaming, and it's like this little kid baseball game, but they are all into it. But when I come to church, I see a lot of folks who just seem like they don't even want to be here. And we're serving Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus. It's a lot more than a baseball. It's a lot more than our hobby or the fun things we like to do. This is, this is it. And we ought to be excited about it. I know we show excitement different. I do too. I'm not an over-the-top kind of guy. I see these, the choir, and they'll sway and they'll clap. And I'm like, I can't sway and clap to save my life, you know. But, but I can smile, can't I? You can smile. We can show that we're glad to be here. We can share the joy with others. Is our spiritual life a burden, or is it something that we enjoy? It says in 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That means he's given us everything we need to live a life of godliness. It's not that we have to push through and we have to just work hard to go through with it. Just walk in the Spirit. Just live in the Holy Spirit, and we're going to bring him glory, honor, and praise. Matthew 11, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stop making it so difficult and just love Jesus and follow him. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with everything you are. If we do that, everything else will fall into place. Love him and joy him. Let your soul long for him. That's what David says over and over in the Psalms. He's just calling out for the Lord. He wants the Lord. It says in Psalm 119, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Can you imagine? You take all the riches in the world, but I delight in your word more, God. What a heart that is. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 16, verse 24, Your testimonies are my delight they are my counselors. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than the honey of my mouth. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about this in your life. And be honest. Do you love the things of God? That's a very important question. Do you love the things of God? Do you delight upon God? Do you love to open your Bible when you're at home and just spend time with the Lord? Do you love to pray and push into that relationship with the Father? Do you love to come and to worship and to sing songs of praise? Do you love to hear preaching and teaching that stirs your heart to be more like Him? Or could it be 
that our spiritual life has become a burden? Could it be that we know what we ought to do, we know the right thing, and so we're going to do it, but we don't really enjoy it? Maybe there needs to be a heart change. Maybe in your heart there needs to be a change. Maybe you need to look and you need to say, Lord, I'm serving you, but my attitude has not been right. I'm not enjoying it. I see it more as a burden. Maybe this morning you need to pray, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you change my heart? Maybe you look at your life and when it comes to loving others, you say, well, I'm not really known for my love, but I know that I need to be. So there needs to be a change. Maybe we need to go back to the very beginning. Maybe there's somebody in here and you've never truly been saved. And maybe today's the day of salvation. I pray if the Lord is drawing you to salvation, you will answer that call and you'll find salvation today. Maybe you look at your life and you say, I've been saved, but I'm not living it. There's no, there's no action to my faith. And today there needs to be action to it. I don't know what you need, but we just spoke right out of the word of God today. I hope you will respond in your life in every way that he leads. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for each one who has come to be a part of this service. Lord God, I pray you've challenged us. I pray that we'll look at our faith and we'll see what needs to change. I pray that we will look at the way that we love others. We'll see what needs to change. And I pray that we'll look at the way that we serve you from our heart. God, and we'll make changes. Lord, could it be that we serve you out of obligation, out of burden, and today that needs to change. We need to serve you out of love. Lord, would you guide us and direct us. Lord, we pray in your name. Let me ask you to stand. The altars are going to be open. If you need to pray, I'm going to be right down here in the front. would love to chat with you. Let's sing together.